From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. Francis is out today. I'm your host, Marjorie Sensor. The Internal Revenue Service's new modernization office will run pilot programs to update and streamline business processes and cut paper. Mitchell Winans of the Enterprise Dig Digitalization and Case Management Office says the end goal is a paperless agency. Fed's group reports some of Winans' goals include increasing access to machine-readable data and training employees on how to use the data. Air Force Materiel Command will review its position descriptions to see if they are more telework compatible than previously thought. General Arnold Bunch, who heads the command, says he's looking at potential changes to facility setups, too. Federal News Network reports the command has about 80,000 employees. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency has a new permanent director. Victoria Coleman's experience includes Atlas AI, Yahoo, Nokia, Samsung, and Intel. Fed's group reports she's a member of the Defense Science Board. Acting DARPA Director Peter Heinem will go back to his former job of Deputy Director. Emergency response organizations at all levels of government are using e-marketplaces to get critical supplies fast to respond to the coronavirus. The General Services Administration has a pilot program launching soon for e-marketplace micro-purchases. Rob Burton's partner at Kroll & Mooring, he's former Deputy Administrator and Acting Administrator of Federal Procurement Policy and writing about e-marketplaces in NextGov. Rob, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. And at the beginning of this piece, you get right at the question that I've had the entire time we've talked about e-marketplaces for the federal government. You write, Amazon, eBay, Overstock, and Etsy are all popular examples of virtual marketplaces. The thing that I wonder in government is if there are three marketplaces where a federal employee has to go to, to potentially buy from, or four, how does one know which is the best one where, where I'm going to get the best price or the best value for my agency among each of those three organizations? Well, Francis, first of all, there's enormous confusion on this whole topic. So right now, every federal agency is using e-marketplaces. They're using them a lot. They're using more than three or four. They're using every e-marketplace that you know of. They have that flexibility and opportunity. What you're talking about now is that Congress has asked GSA to take the lead and putting together a central place to go where they, the Congress has mandated there be three or four marketplaces that you could choose from. You don't really need that. You don't, Congress uh, really didn't need to even do that because right now everybody can choose whatever, wherever they want to go to, whether it's Amazon, Walmart, whatever, they have that choice right now. And the marketplace creates inherent competition. So the government's getting the best prices because you have the marketplace working and thousands of suppliers competing for a particular item. And so, so that's the key. The key thing here is Congress wanted GSA to take the lead and at least initially limit it to three or four marketplaces, which is what they're doing. As a matter of fact, that pilot was supposed to uh, roll out this month, Francis, but it hasn't happened yet. But uh, so GSA has a hard task ahead of itself in trying to come up with a in effect, a centralized marketplace for the federal government. But the bottom line is, I think you're going to see agencies continuing to use whatever marketplace they want. So because I don't have anything better to do on a weeknight before I'm, when I'm coming in to do the show, I looked on Amazon, tried to find the lowest price on Amazon for a box of 20 packs of copy paper, Rob. The price on Amazon was 
one thing. The price on Walmart was another thing. And the price, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're all over the map. And so at some point in time, it strikes me, if Congress has provided this level of oversight, they're also going to provide a level of oversight. Buying one box of paper for $3 difference doesn't matter. When it's 1000 or 10000 that's a big, that's a reasonable amount of money, and it's probably something that some overseer is going to want an explanation for. What do we do to protect the federal employee who's in the, in the position of having to make that decision and maybe making the wrong decision because he or she didn't have one source to go to, they had to check among a whole bunch of them? Well, the bottom line, Francis, is that when you go to a marketplace, if you're looking for a, a pad of paper, you're going to see, if it's a true online marketplace with thousand suppliers, you're going to be able to see on that marketplace all the different pricing, and you'll be able to compare it right then and there. I think any contracting officer that is doing that and taking that initiative to take a look at more than one price, they don't really need to go to several marketplaces, although that is what I think GSA wants them to do is actually look at different marketplaces. My, my advice to the government is keep this simple. Just keep it simple. Let the marketplace dictate the prices. You're going to have competition. You're going to be able to choose and look for the lowest price. But, of course, that's not the only thing you want to look at is price. I mean, you're going to want to look at other factors, too. I think that the, the bottom line here, France, is that we're going to see the government moving to the use of e-marketplaces more than ever before. Uh, these are now we're talking micro purchases below $10,000. Of course, with the pandemic, it went up to $20,000. But if you take a look at the number of cardholders in the federal government, it's increased dramatically. I think it was 287 in FY 2018. It then jumped to over 500,000 in fiscal year 2019. I'll be curious to see what happens in 2020 with the pandemic because the e-marketplaces really stood up to the pandemic. They allowed federal agencies to have a quick, easy place to go to get critical supplies for our first responders. It was absolutely a great success story. And Francis, it's so nice to talk about something that's going well in federal procurement. But this did. It went well. Um, you write in this piece in NextGov about two states, Virginia and Delaware, that have e-marketplace options for their buyers. What did they do well, Rob? What works well in those states? Well, they, they, in Virginia, they had something called EVA, which was basically a government-sponsored a marketplace that again had lots of different suppliers on the market they set up a separate COVID-19 section so state agencies could immediately look for critical supplies such as masks thermometers surgical gowns they were able to find those supplies quickly and I think that actually the federal government has a lot to learn from the states here the states are actually doing a great job with respect to some of this COVID um, response and um, it's sort of exciting that I think that government at least has this option now to go with small purchases, go quickly, find critical suppliers. Something else, a lot of these online marketplaces, I'm not sure about Virginia, but a lot of online marketplaces waive seller fees and allowed sellers to flock to the marketplace that could provide some of these critical, hard to find items for the, in response to the pandemic. And that was just a, a really good move. Rob Burton, thanks very much as always. Thank you. Thanks, Francis. Great seeing you. Up next, veterans quitting federal jobs. Straight ahead on Government Matters, understanding the trend and exploring how agencies can reverse it. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
veterans tend to leave government jobs at a higher rate than their non-veteran counterparts. A new report from the Government Accountability Office also finds lower rates of satisfaction among veterans in federal roles. Yvonne Jones is Director of Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Thanks for being here, Yvonne. What were the main findings of your uh, new report? Well, the main findings were that, um, as a matter of fact, veterans are somewhat less um, satisfied with uh, their work in, in the federal government than are non-veterans, and that they do leave the federal government at a somewhat higher rate than do non-veterans. And did you find that this was relatively consistent across agencies, or were there some wide variations there? Um, there is consistency in the sense that in all 24 of the Chief Financial Officer Act agencies, that veterans leave federal service at a higher rate than non-veterans, but there's a wide range in the uh, percentage of veterans across those agencies. Sure. Did you get a sense of, of what is driving veterans to leave at this higher rate and to um, maybe, are they more likely to leave after five years, I saw as well? Well, we identified six factors, which are highly related to whether um, veterans and non-veterans leave the federal government. So those six factors are satisfaction with pay, the meaningfulness of work, the confidence in leaders and their agencies, opportunities for advancement, training for skills development, and relationships with supervisors. So on all of those factors, veterans are slightly um, more likely to leave the federal government than non-veterans. Um, in terms of the period of time over which veterans leave, um, in particular, newly hired veterans appear to be, that is those who have been in the federal government five years or less, appear to be more likely to leave federal service than their uh, non-veteran counterparts. In fact, we found that they were 1.7 times more likely to resign than non-veterans, and that overall, over a five-year period that we examined, 18.7% of veterans left the federal government as compared to 11.1% of non-vets. And what do you think are the, the consequences here um, of not being able to maybe keep as many veterans in federal service? Why is this an important issue to, to the government? Well, it's very important because, first of all, it takes it costs a great deal for the federal government to um, identify and, and hire people who have the required skills. Um, secondly, um, often federal agencies spend a great deal of monetary and other resources to train people to understand their mission objectives and how to achieve them. And also, um, the work of the federal government is becoming more more complex, and agencies need a wide variety of people, you know, with very high skill levels, particularly in technical areas. So, if when the agencies have undertaken um, all of the effort that I just just described to hire and retain staff, if they leave, that's a huge loss to the federal government. Certainly. Did your report make a recommendation? Yes, we did have one recommendation for, for OPM, and we asked that OPM assist the 24 um, agencies under the Chief Financial Officers Act to be able to undertake the kind of analyses that we undertook for the whole of the federal government. We also recommended that OPM provide assistance to any other 
um, executive branch agencies that may need help in carrying out a similar analysis. Is it, um, you know, once they figure out this, once they conduct this analysis, um, if they follow this recommendation, where would they go from there? It seems like um, some of the some of the steps may end up being somewhat agency specific, or do you think that it, uh, you know, is really kind of the same thing th across agencies that should be done? Well, we're not sure um, if it's the same thing across agencies. Our results are basically an average of uh, across the 24 CFO Act agencies. So individual agencies would need to look and determine if there are factors more specific to them, which are affecting their, their ability to um, retain veterans. So what, what could happen is that if an agency were to carry out such a study, they may identify factors that are very important to um, veterans in terms of staying at the agency, and then they could um, look at their their policies, at their management practices, and determine if they need to make any changes. What was the, re the response of the Office of Personnel Management to your recommendation? Well, the Office of Personnel Management partially agreed with, with our recommendation. They did express um, uh, a concern about assisting more agencies than those in the 24 CFO Act agencies because they have both personnel and budgetary constraints. Um, however, we felt it important enough that if some of those other agencies determined that they needed to undertake a study of veteran satisfaction you know, with their policies and practices that the Office of Personnel Management try to find a way to help them. With just about 30 seconds to go, Yvonne, uh, how will GAO um, be tracking this? I assume you're going to be keeping an eye on, on um, how veterans are doing in the government. We will continue to touch base with, with the agency um, at least twice a year to ask them what steps they are planning to take or have taken um, in order to full, fulfill the recommendation. Thanks so much for being here, Yvonne. You are very welcome. Up next, a breakthrough contract where price isn't an evaluation factor. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the next step on the way to better acquisition. Don't forget, if you missed an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. General Service Administration's new ASTRO solicitation is the first of its kind. It will use Section 876 authority to avoid using price as an evaluation factor. Jim Williams is partner at Schomback & Williams Consulting and former acting administrator of the General Services Administration. Thanks for being here. How is this ASTRO solicitation different than other contracts we've seen? Well, I think what's exciting about it is it's doing something that all of us in the industry have believed is the right thing to do for a long time, which is get rid of pricing at the master contract level for these multiple award GACs, GWACs, but instead make sure that you have pricing and have competition at the task order level. And, and what was the idea behind this Section 876 authority? And, and um, you know, I think some people might originally think no pricing. Well, I, I think it's really it's putting the pricing where it really belongs. And when you're doing it at the master contract level, when there's no real requirements behind it, it really is completely meaningless. 
what has it been the response of industry? Have they advocated for this, understanding that that piece? I think industry likes this very, very much, and there's been a, a clamor for this from industry for a long time, because they know that doing this pricing at the master contract level requires them to, to play more games, and they're really not bidding against anything that will ever be awarded. But when they're doing it at the task order level, that's where the government has real requirements, and they can put forth their best solution, their, their mix of their people and their labor hours in order to really craft something that makes sense for the government. And if, you know, the people in, in government have advocated for this, obviously Congress has gotten on board, industry likes it. What has been the delay? Why are we just seeing this now? I think there's probably been a little bit of reluctance just to step out on this ledge. Um, I, I think, you know, the inspector general has not been a fan of this, I believe, at, in the schedules. But I think in the services schedules, it makes sense there, too. And I think in almost all services contracts, that's where this makes a lot of sense. And, and I applaud GSA for doing this, for considering it, for their upcoming uh, alliance small business. But I, I think, uh, you know, the, the people who did Oasis are doing this, Todd, and, you know, they're leaders, they're innovators. So I applaud them for doing this. I know it took two years, but still, I think it's great they're doing it now. And, you know, Emily Murphy said all along, let's get competition at the task order level where it makes sense. You mentioned um, that it requires sort of stepping out on the ledge. What will you be watching? What will others be watching to to make sure this is implemented appropriately to make sure you do get that that competition at the task order level? Well, I think uh, one is looking at the competition. But I think one of the things we overlook with uh, looking at contracts, we look at, okay, what's the pricing? Price is still important. But I, I think we also have to look at, did it meet the mission? And I think, you know, looking at things like the CPARS ratings, did what we're doing end up meeting the mission of the government agencies? In the case of ASTRO, this is going to be a first DOD, and we really ought to be looking at, did it, did it meet the mission? I think the other thing, this requires the contract administrators to make sure that they administer these task order contracts and make sure there, there isn't a kind of a, a bait and switch type of thing that, that might have happened at the master contract level. When you're bidding on a real requirement, those are the people who should be working that labor mix. And if you're proposing somebody at a higher labor rate because it's specialized, then they really ought not to be substituting somebody of a lower quality than what they bid at the task order level. It sounds like you think it might take quite a quite a bit of time to figure out, you know, did this work? Was this the right way to, to, to do this? No, I believe that this is the right way to do it right now. I do think you need to, to evaluate it and see if it should be tweaked in any way. What else does the government need to do to make sure they're getting, as other countries call, value for money? But I do believe that this is an idea whose time has come. And if I were GSA doing it on Astro, I wouldn't wait to do it on other large service multiple or GWACs. Do you predict that there will be other contracts that will follow Astro and, and doing it this way? Yes, I do. And I think, you know, with the, the way GSA is doing this, it's a lot like Oasis and a lot like Alliant, where with the self-scoring uh, scheme, I don't think that necessarily makes protests go away. Because again, if you're excluded from this, then you're not happy because you're excluded from a marketplace until there's an on-ramp or something else that lets you have a chance of getting back in. So companies will still be very serious about doing their best to get into this. 
Uh, but I, I do think this is a great idea for all of these type contracts. And I think other agencies will look at this and say, yes, that makes sense. It sounds like you think there are um, maybe some not not so hidden, but but uh, other benefits that that you might see from this type of contract, from reducing protests to maybe increasing efficiency or, or cutting the time it takes to to you know get these multiple award contracts going. The, is that accurate? Do you think? I think so, Marjorie. I hope they really focus on is this contract really accomplishing the goals, which means meeting the mission of the agencies and doing it at a reasonable price and, and but i don't think we measure enough in contracts and leverage things like cpars how do we really ensure that we've met the mission and um with just about 45 seconds to go uh congress has played a role in this do you expect them to be watching this uh or to, to take any further action on this issue well i'm sure they will be and, and i think uh, i applaud congress for giving gsa the authority to do this so i i think they will want to know hey, was this a good thing? Did it work? Tell us how it worked. And I think that they will be looking at clearly at competition, the task order level, to make sure there is competition, as Emily has said. But I think we should also look at, at the mission, look at the pricing, and looking at how should we make sure that we continue to administer these task order contracts so that we do accomplish all those goals. Thanks for being here, Jim. Thanks, Marjorie. If you've missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is now available as an audio podcast. You can subscribe to our daily program on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join us weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Marjorie Sensor. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.